today on the Tearsheet Podcast. And so we tell the whole team, don't expect next year to get as crazy. You know, this was probably like a pretty much like a one-off event and there's a lot of macro decisions that are going to change and let's just like keep our heads down, focus on building product, et cetera. 30 days later, um, GameStop happens and, and all hell breaks loose. And um, <laughs> and I think we, uh, we then doubled the user base and um, just a couple of days from on the back of having just uh, 13 decks that... Um, the, the entire past year. And so that became a, obviously a, a huge accelerant. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. On today's show, we're going to explore opportunities. These types of opportunities we'll be talking about don't come around every day, but when they do, they can be transformative if you're able to really step up. I talked to Yannick Malling, co-CEO and co-founder of investing app Public. For younger investors, the meme stock rally offered an opportunity to participate, many for the first time in the stock market. And for Yannick and Public, it offered an even bigger opportunity to scale rapidly. But this required smart moves. Yannick and team distanced themselves from competitor Robinhood's revenue model, pay for order flow, which became an important topic as it opened and closed trading windows on popular meme stocks. Yannick recognized the power in this GameStop moment and he shares his thinking that went into strategizing around it. Also last week, Public released a new generative AI investment research tool called Alpha. It helps people, both newbies and experienced investors, learn more about the investment process and specific investments. Yannick shares his experience working with these new technologies with a keen eye on how they can be used to service customers and where they are headed in the future. Yannick Malling is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Gen Z is complex, and to serve this generation that grew up on Netflix and Amazon will require financial institutions to improve their experience. The thing is that, by and large, banks haven't kept up. 83% of Gen Z surveyed say they are dissatisfied with the experience provided to them by their primary FI. That leaves an opportunity for brands. Brands of all sorts, from retail to transportation, are already embedding financial services into their offerings. This has the power to add new revenue streams, provide solutions to customers right at their point of need, create deeper, stickier relationships with their customers, and move out of the sea of sameness so common in many industries. 50% of younger users today don't have a bank account with a traditional bank. That's a great opportunity for brands to step in and service Gen Z. Learn how top brands are using embedded finance to increase engagement and boost revenues in new research published by Tearsheet in collaboration with modern issuer Marketa, whose platform is an end-to-end offering that combines modern card issuing and banking as a service. This new research addresses what Gen Z really is looking for from financial service providers, how traditional banks and payment firms are missing the mark with today's consumers, four different opportunities to serve Gen Z with Bass, and how brands have an opportunity to win the hearts and minds of younger generations. Go to tearsheet.co slash trust shift to download the report. That's tearsheet.co slash T-R-U-S-T-S-H-I-F-T to get the new research. Hey, I'm Yannick Malling. I'm the uh, co-founder and co-CEO of Public, public.com, which is uh, an investing app where um, you can buy stocks, ETF, but also treasuries, crypto, and even alternatives. And so um, we've 
fractionalized access to a lot of different asset classes to allow everybody to build a portfolio um, with all kinds of assets um, that sort of fit them and their investing profile. Um, and then we do a lot of work to provide a lot of context around those portfolios as well through content um, and community. Um, and as of this morning, uh, some AI-powered services as well. So I want to hear about um, the AI services, but but first a little bit more about public. Who who's your target um, psychographic or demographic? Like who who are your customers? Yeah, so it's um, it's mostly I would say younger people. We we kind of over-index on um, what you would call millennials, um, or that's the biggest cohort I would say. But what's actually been kind of fascinating since we launched is we've had people from all walks of life, um, and it's actually much more of a diversified um, user base than I think many, many realize. Um, mm. And we've, we've put some numbers out on this also, um, you know, but it's much more gender kind of neutral, um, you know, around 40% of our users are women. And so it's a little bit less the classic day trader finance guy, if you will. Um, and, and we've really tried to make public a company that can open up to the, the general public at large also hence the name. And so everything in our product experience, everything in our brand has always um, over-indexed a lot on, on making it not just accessible, but actually approachable. Um, and those are two similar sounding words, but there's sure. a, a pretty big difference in the end. And so that's what and we've been focused on. And Yannick, are these users, um, are they new to investing? Are they coming to public because they're new? Or are you, are they, you know, moving over from other platforms that, you know, and finding public? Yeah, I mean, we're a company that launched by the end of 2019. And so we've had a lot of influx of uh, new, new people that are completely new to investing. First time investors, we call them. And in the early days, that number was as high as 90%, I think. Um, today it's a, it's a little bit less than that, but you've also had obviously a fascinating past couple of years where the intersection of, I think, mobile and fractional really democratized access, as well as everything that will happen from a macro perspective, um, in this country, as well as the world. Um, you know, there was this proliferation and I think as a result of that, we, we've seen that ratio come down a little bit. And so again, today it's a much more kind of mixed mixed bag. And that's also as a result of, I think, public having evolved during that time. Um, mm -hmm. Last year, for instance, we launched something called Public Premium, which is a premium subscription service where we give all the way down to like KPI level data, right? So if you look at Tesla, you'll see charts of like vehicles delivered. And you look at Uber, you see ride on driver growth, like all those kinds of things, like the most leading indicators. Um, and as, as we've rolled out services like that, um, we've been, um, thankfully, um, also a, a investing destination for more experienced kind of investors and traders. And this new product you launched today, Alpha, um, this GPT-4 powered, you know, AI tool, um, was that aimed, first of all, I'd love to hear more about it. Like, what is it? But is it, was it aimed at, at which cohort? Was, is it the people new to investing or is it aimed for, yeah, I guess it's not either or, Who, who's the target user of this? If the funny thing is, um, I think it, it it is a little bit of everybody because when you think about the interaction, but you have to know the questions to ask, right? Like exactly, which means you're not we, a complete newbie. Yeah. Well, so the funny thing is, we do have some defaults in there on each asset that you can sort of like uh, so just just to kind of get you started. 
And so the way that I think about and and we've announced um, on our website, a, a mini kind of roadmap at public.com slash uh, alpha, where you can see like phase one, two, three. And so phase one, which we announced today is to have it be sort of a, a co-pilot, a research assistant, if you will, to help you um, research investments deeper, faster, and with less friction. Um, and I think that's universally something that anybody can benefit from. But if you think about the way that these AI services kind of work, you know, how deep you go with it is really up to the individual user, right? And so that's actually something where from a design paradigm, and I kind of grew up with a design background, so I think a lot about this stuff, it's like it, it naturally kind of unfolds the deeper you go into the experience, right? So you can sort of start from the very top, if you will, of let's call it a funnel, and then you can ask it basic questions, and then maybe that's enough, and you close it down, and you go on to potentially take action or not, or you can just keep going. And that's what's so fascinating about this, that you can really just keep drilling down, keep having this like conversational um, research approach. And I think what's um, in terms of how we, we came about it, I mean, what's been interesting for public is we... Um, We've always been had a social graph underpinning our entire community. And so public is also the place where you can converse with other investors, see what they invest in. And we've always believed that the best research happens in dialogue with other people. Um, and we still believe that, except now we believe that it also happens in dialogue with, uh, I guess, people that are not really people, but that are um, that are AIs. But it's the same, it's the same kind of dynamic and behavioral interaction um that you kind of have because when you have conversation i mean you as a as a podcast i probably know this better than most when you have dialogue that's really where um you tend to arrive at the most interesting um, yeah that's where the magic of analysis and, and, and conclusion exactly right and so yeah. this is sort of a way that not only now can you converse with other like-minded investors on public as you've been able to from day one but now you can also have that conversation um with an AI and and we find that to be a super kind of fascinating sort of almost hybrid approach to investing going forward. I'm curious also, um, we, we've done a little bit of reporting on, on a uh, chat GPT tech, tech generative AI moving into financial services and we've had some scientists on and um, I'm curious from, from public point of view, like from a product and experience um, perspective, what was the lift like to, to build out this product? Yeah, it's a great question. And, what's kind of interesting because you're, you're uh, learning as you go right like this hasn't happened exactly yeah. and everybody's like when it's ready and we're all like nobody really knows right it's like we just show up every day and like like i don't want alpha know, falling in love write with more me, code you know? and yeah <laughs> well i think that's a little bit where this is a totally different paradigm in terms of development because at the end of the day most kind of features that you build they they have their classic kind of Gantt chart roadmap, however you want to do it. You've got your Jira tickets and then you crunch those through and it's a little bit more fixed in in, in the scope. Um, this is literally like, it's a little bit all over the place in terms of like some days you just see these like leapfrogs frogs and in, in its ability to converse with you and, and, and you know, understand um, what you're trying to do and help you do that. Um, and others are a little bit, you, you find these almost like blind spots, we call them, where it's a little bit more okay, there's still stuff that it needs to understand here. And so how can we go about this in a different way? And so it's been a totally different development journey. Um, but the great thing is by building on some of this technology, you're sort of guaranteed that the underlying trend line is just going to keep going up to the right. And that's where you realize the power of this because you just naturally will have a lot of wind in your back because 
you know, you don't hear people talking about AI getting worse, right? Like that's like by design almost impossible, right? And so it it, it really kind of only gets better, and that's um, that's exciting for folks. And what was the thinking around um, creating, I guess, a three stage rollout? Was that as much for you guys as it was for customers? Like, how, how do you think about that? So that was in an effort to, so yes, for us, as well as for customers. All right. I think when we first laid out on this and, and we've got access to start tinkering around with this stuff, you know, the first thing that happens is your mind kind of explodes and you realize all the different paths that this could take and you start extrapolating out. And, um, and I, I told the team, it's a little bit like actually like with investing, right? Like compounding is one of the hardest concepts for the human mind to fathom. And so, you start to extrapolate out, but even when you extrapolate out, you always tend to do that linearly and not mm-hmm. on a accelerating or kind of compounding basis. Um, and so we just needed to like lock down a scope and also be like, okay, there's a lot of chatter right now of how all this is going to change our lives and this, that, and the other. Um, and there's enough of that chatter. We didn't want to be the folks that just contribute to that. We wanted to actually build something that's actionable and just like define the first phase scope, how a public, we often talk about um, helping people be better investors in everything that we do. And so that's how we approach this. How can we do that? And we identified multiple ways that we could then do that. And then we decided to start with, um, as a user, when you are researching prospective investments within the app, um, you have this nice little pull down interaction that actually sparks the conversation. Um, and then, and then you're sort of, off to the races, but it's been very helpful for us to like nail down that scope in order to have something more tangible and actionable and a little bit more constrained that it can kind of focus on learning and getting a lot better at. Um, because I think it's a little bit like, you know, um, you know, if you're an NBA player, you're likely either want to be, um, the world's best at, you know, rebounding or free point shooting or blogging out or the rim or whatever, passing or whatever it is versus just being mediocre at everything, you know? Um, and so that's a little bit similar to how we sort of approach the facing of this. So I'm thinking, you know, public launched in 2019. So you guys have been public um, for uh, just a crazy, crazy period, right? Like, and so, um, and I just watched the Netflix, um, you know, GameStop documentary. Maybe take us a little bit back to that era um, when, when you launched and sort of the craziness that was going around and, and sort of how, how you use that um, as, as feeder, I guess, to, to build out, a, yeah. you know, your vision for the company. Yeah, totally. I mean, so yeah, to your point, we, we launched in 2019. Uh, we, we were the first company to uh, fractionalize uh, real-time kind of stock trading. Um, and so that carried a lot of our early growth. There was like probably like a nine month well, there were a fraction before. You did the real time was the innovation there. Yeah, like there there wasn't that like a what I would say a trading platform where you exactly they were they were batched right batched there were windows like sort of trading, trading windows. window yeah. stuff um, and obviously like in a way buying an ETF is a way to do fractional. But I'm right. talking about really picking a stock, putting in five bucks of Amazon, hitting go, and then you're a oh, fractional wow. okay. owner of that company. Right? That that didn't really exist, and that. That innovation was very important for our early growth because also just like the feedback loop there, the engagement that that creates, you know, and again, as a social app, it was and a community driven app. It was actually uh, an even more important feature because I, I might be able to see what other people are investing in and, and why. But if I can't action that because a certain 
asset is outside of my price range due to something as arbitrary as the price per share that just like seemed ridiculous. And so a lot of our early effort was really around that. And that's also, again, where the name kind of public coming, it came in and um, that carried a lot of our early growth um, into COVID where obviously um, nobody knew at the time what was happening there, but that turned out to be uh, generally a huge kind of buy the dip moment for a lot of folks, especially kind of younger folks um, that were well within our target demo. And so we grew very fast through 2020 as well. I think we grew the user base 13x uh, during 2020. So that was like a wild. Every month you're like growing 50 to 100%. And that's that just like wild. literally every month the company kind of looks different in a way. Um, the funny thing is then at the end of 2020, um, live my co-founder and I, we kind of pulled the team by side and we, as the, as as we wanted to sort of like Manage expectations for the team a little bit, right? Because at the end of 2020, you know, Biden's gotten elected. He said he was going to vaccinate 100 million people in the first 100 days. And, you know, you were sort of like starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. And so we tell the whole team, don't expect next year to get as crazy. You know, this was probably like a pretty much like a one-off event. And there's a lot of macro business that are going to change. And let's just like keep our heads down, focus on building product, et cetera. 30 days later, um, Game stuff happens and and all hell breaks loose and um, <laughs> and I think we uh, we then doubled the user base and um, just a couple of days from on the back of having just uh, thirteen decks that um, the the entire past year and so that became a, obviously a, a huge accelerant um, for was us it as clear well. To you and, as 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 a leader that the GameStop moment was like a moment. Yes. Yeah. Very much okay. so. Wow. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've been, in, in my older companies, I've experienced something like these moments before, but like at a way lower scale, right? But like, like you know, in and around, like I'm, I'm, I, I started early enough in financial services that I remember, like 2008, I was working in a company called Saxo Bank at the time, which mm-hmm. is like a big European kind of player, right? And so, mm-hmm. uh, so I remember that from the inside, and so I've seen horrible some of these kind of hectic. Uh, yeah. hectic and, and and horrible days. This was different because it was hectic, but it was it was ultimately fueled by optimism mm-hmm. and a sense of community. And you know, um, and obviously, as a social app, public was like right in the center of that. Right, um, everything that was kind of playing out there as well. Um, and then, secondly, we also realized that we've always talked a lot about a public building um, a company that's aligned with our customer base a company that ultimately will be the most trusted kind of platform. Um, and so in an, and, and so from an early onset, we've always talked about this payment for order flow mechanism, um, which is how most, uh, especially uh, most brokerages actually uh, make money that way, but especially um, what I guess you call zero commission kind of brokerages have been relying heavily on that kind of revenue stream. And from the early days, we never really, I can say Robin that Hood, much. And we were Robin Hood. Okay. Not just them, honestly, like they're, they're pretty well, much everyone of, else. Um, but I think one of the things that you did was masterful was like as that was happening and unfolding, at least from where, where I sit, you guys distanced yourself from it saying like this is yes. what we're not. Um, you yes. had the whole Michael Bolton thing yes. going on and it was like – Yeah, I think that was just a very good way of saying, hey, we're in it for you but and we're different. And I, I think it resonated. Exactly. Yeah, and like if you go all the way back to our Series A 2019 deck, you know, Excel and the folks will tell you that we actually said that we did not plan on on keeping payment for autoflow forever and ever because you know it's been it's been illegal in the UK and Canada, I think Australia too, and a couple of other places. So we never really were like, as a company, like we never wanted to bank on that being like the main revenue stream. And we did have this idea of tipping and even a bunch of other ways that we can kind of make money. 
Um, and then we just pulled that kind of forward very heavily because like I said, 2020 was a huge scale year and we just poured everything into keeping the lights on as we were growing the user base that fast. Scaling trading systems is, is hard. Uh, scaling a social app can also be hard and we were sort of doing both at the same time, right? And so, um, but yeah, that, that GameStop moment and the payment for autoflow thing ended up being very interlinked because ultimately the events of GameStop became how a lot of people became educated um, at, at scale around this payment for autoflow mechanism that otherwise, you know, prior to GameStop had been very difficult to even even explain to people. Yeah, it's one of those arcane pieces of finance that doesn't matter until it, it matters, I guess. Exactly. Um, yes. Well, we're looking for it. We have time for one last question. Um, I've been in it, and you can see the gray hairs, but I've been in this long enough to see like the different cycles of um, social investing apps, right? I think there's a new cycle. It feels to me where I'm sitting like of new startups that are sort of focusing on this. What is, from your perspective, uh, six, what is an example of a successful social interaction through investing and like where where you where where do you think that'll lead in the future yeah it's a great question so i mean to your earlier question in in the early days on fruit 2020 for instance i think 90 percent of our of our signups were first-time investors and so very quickly social for us became education right the way that you sort of build financial literacy scale because the truth is you know you can go and 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 there's a lot of great books that have been written on investing, um, but they tend to be uh, 500 pages or more. And so the truth is just like, that's not how people want to learn these days. And so similarly to how a lot of people learn to meditate uh, by doing 10 minutes of calm every day or headspace, um, for us, social became the thing where you checked in 10, 15 minutes every day. You build that kind of habit, that behavior, and you learn something new every day. And either at a micro level about a company that you owned or either a general financial literacy about, you know, PE ratios and what they actually mean and how they play out in different industries, or even at a macro level of how stimulus is going to change the economy and this, that, and the other, right? And so what social allowed us to do and have all these updates happen in real time have conversation about them versus just having news where you're sort of like reading an article. And then you come to an end and then you're done and you have to go and do something else. And that's where like with social, you can participate, you can ask questions and then doing that alongside other people who um, either are in the same boat as you as far as being having the same level of experience or learning from people that have a lot more experience. And, and I think also specifically around COVID, there was obviously a sense of um, people coming together all around the country, all around the world. And and there was a sort of a, a microcosm of that that played out in the public community as well, where people were really um, in this together and happy to kind of, um, the more experienced folks were more than happy to like share their learnings. Um, and so I think education is really like the main thing that it started off uh, out as. And since then it's become um, more than just education, although education is still a very big piece of it, um, but also like real-time reactions to market events. You know, uh, earlier this year, we launched uh, U.S. Treasury, so the ability to buy T-bills, um, again, in real time and, and, you know, with a few, with a few taps of a button. And what we, what we realized is as the community had been geeking out on, you know, stocks during 2020 and maybe crypto during 2021, 2022 and 23, they started geeking out on like, the yield curve and like what that basically educating people around the fixed income space, which has sort of had this like lost decade for the last 10 years plus. Right. 
since 08. Um, and so now a lot of people are uh, being re-educated about it, but even more people are like learning about it actually from for the first time. Um, and so we've seen that being hugely important in people's ability to understand uh, even just like how T-bills work, um, how the yield curve acts, what's the interrelations between you know, the Fed's actions and the yield curve, and then from there to the equities markets and, and you know, learning by scrolling through kind of like a, a, a community of uh, well-reasoned people that um, that provide their perspective on stuff, uh, I think has just proven to be, um, yeah, just like a much more effective way for people to learn. Yeah, it's been great talking. Thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to see you.